Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is staff writer researcher, Nikki Henderson. Hi, Nikki. Hi there, Alex. So you had the opportunity recently to chat with Jason Bonander, deputy CIO at CDC, an agency that we have all come to know very well recently. Nikki, how was your conversation? Well, Alex, I I had a great conversation with Jason. He shared just so much great information with me about what CDC is doing to put itself in in a better position to respond to the next public health crisis. There were so many lessons learned, as you can imagine, from COVID. And he also uh, talked about how data is so critical to that process and also how data is playing a key role in addressing health equity as well. Gotcha. So CDC is currently in the midst of some organizational overhauls to transform its data posture. This involves CDC's moving forward strategy. So what did Jason say about this strategy and how is it helping to reshape the agency's overall information systems to better respond to, as you said, future health emergencies? Jason said one of CDC's top priorities with the moving forward strategy coming out of the pandemic is to provide a modern enterprise platform that will decrease the burden of transferring data within the public health ecosystem. He said one way that they're doing this is through CDC's one front door uh, for data exchange. He said this will make it easier for their state and local partners, as well as healthcare providers, to share that information, that data with CDC in one centralized place, rather than delivering the information in multiple formats and through multiple systems. Right. Having a centralized data repository is just so important, especially when it comes to dealing with infectious diseases, and really just staying on top of things. So obviously, a critical component of any organizational overhaul is culture, (laughs) specifically cultural buy-in. So how does Jason see the culture changing in CC when it comes to the software development and tech modernization? And how does it translate back to public health decision making? Yes, Alex, culture is absolutely vital to agencies. And Jason said, you can see culture as a barrier or you can work with the culture you have to enact that change. So Jason said, just look at the fact that they have the first ever public health data strategy that outlines the outcomes aimed at improving the entire public health system. So that is amazing. So today, everyone has a has a more mature software development workforce, along with the significant advances in technology. Um, Jason also talked about having congressional appropriations for data modernization that they can now use and have access to. So 
Oh, and he also mentioned the Center for Forecasting and Analytics. He said that CDC recently established the center and it's staffed with public health data science expertise, which is an awesome thing. It's a great thing. And it's going to be so helpful with data and with culture and everything. So all of this that I mentioned, he said, it's thanks to that change in culture. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So before we jump into our interview, I wanted to touch on the topic of health equity, which continues to be a priority, especially when looking at data and how that can impact real world health outcomes. What did Jason say about CDC's new data efforts and how they are helping to bridge some of these gaps? According to Jason, the first step towards health equity is by improving the data that they have available. Jason highlighted the core, and the core is a framework that's helping them actually bridge those gaps. He said core is cultivating comprehensive health equity science. It's optimizing their interventions that will use data-driven strategies. It's reinforcing robust partnerships, which Jason said are key to making health equity an actual a reality. And it's also enhancing capacity and workplace diversity and inclusion and engagement. So Jason believes that CORE and some of their other data activities are really helping to address health equity and bridge those gaps. Well, with all of that in mind, let's take a listen to your conversation. Jason, I really appreciate you taking out time to speak with me today about CDC's Moving Forward Strategy, the impact of culture on the agency's tech modernization, and some of the emerging technologies that are supporting CDC's data efforts. Before we jump into our conversation, Jason, do you mind introducing yourself and just giving a brief description of your role at CDC? Hey, sure thing, Nikki, and it's a, it's great to be here today uh, talking with you about CDC and uh, CDC moving forward and the IT and data modernization that we have uh, going on here at CDC. Uh, absolutely critical coming out of COVID, right? Uh, so it's a really timely and important topic. So hey, so I'm Jason Bonander. I am the Deputy Chief Information Officer for CDC. I've uh, been at CDC for quite some time, a little over 20 years, uh, and so have seen a lot, uh, a lot of change here in the organization that uh, hopefully I'll be able to weave in through our conversation here. And really my responsibilities, along with uh, Susie Connor, who is our chief information officer, is really overseeing uh, the uh, global IT and cybersecurity operations uh, for CDC. Uh, and you know it's important to keep in mind, and again, I'll mention this later too, probably that uh, while CDC is based in Atlanta, we do have offices and locations all around the US uh, and a pretty significant global footprint as well. So uh, uh, we are we're a, we're a pretty big organization. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Well, Jason, I know that CDC is undergoing some organizational overhauls right now to completely transform its data posture and its overall information strategies. We were recently introduced to this via the CDC Moving Forward Strategy. So from the CIO office perspective, what are some of your biggest priorities ahead of these developments? Hey, thanks, Nikki. And uh, I just also want to say that I've really been looking forward to this discussion. Uh, and I know we're on video and I get super animated when excited at talking about all these things. So you'll see my hands waving 
but unfortunately, our folks, I won't see my hands waving. But so let me begin by saying that uh, here in CDC's office of the CIO, honestly, we couldn't be in a better organizational position to support this strategy. So underpinning CDC moving forward are broad IT and data modernization activities, enabling public health programs across the agency and really across the public health system. And for us, modernizing enterprise infrastructure, as some of this isn't going to sound terribly sexy, but uh, modernizing enterprise infrastructure, operations and services is really part of the tech scaffolding, if you will, that uh, that enables a data-driven, response-ready scientific organization. And so it's important to note that some of these activities really, they predate CDC moving forward and even the pandemic, uh, but both have amplified, accelerated, and focused IT and data activity supporting our public health partners and the public health system. And so, Nikki, to get even, I'm going to get a little bit more specific with your question here. So, to get more specific, our priorities revolve around establishing a secure, scalable, resilient infrastructure that supports CDC and all of our state, local, tribal, and territorial and lab partners, delivering modern enterprise platforms and services that enable public health data priorities that reduce the burden of moving data within a public health ecosystem, and of course, engineering adaptive uh, cybersecurity and data privacy. And I'm going to go, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go a little bit deeper uh, mm -hmm. and give you some, some, uh, some specific examples. So, so for us, one specific example of this is something that we're calling here the CDC One Front Door for data exchange uh, between CDC and data providers. And those data providers being our state local partners, as well as healthcare and labs. And the history really is that, you know, CDC gets data from a wide variety of uh, state and local health departments and laboratories and uh, healthcare providers for a wide variety of the diseases and conditions that we have here. And what we wanted to do is find a way to reduce the burden of, of sharing information with us, right? Instead of submitting that in a wide variety of formats to a wide variety of systems, really creating this one central place uh, for CD, for all of our partners to be delivering that data to us. So that's number one, and we're calling that the CDC One Front Door. The other is establishing in this one, so the One Front Door really came out of, uh, out of the pandemic and, uh, and our ability to do that. So the other one uh, was pre-pandemic, as uh, our enterprise data analytics and visualization platform. So built in the cloud, the objective here is, and really not terribly novel, frankly, but uh, but important for us is a central location for all of the data uh, that, uh, that we're collecting across the organization that's cataloged and made available as appropriate to other people across the organization to share, to use, to create, uh, to create new visualizations and really try to, again, the right, the focus of this is try to increase the speed at which we can deliver public health, uh, public health programs uh, and public health interventions to our partners. So, but everything we've been doing after the last past few years has been focused on the goal of getting better, faster, actionable insights for decision-making at all levels of public health. And impact into that short statement is a lot of work, a lot of coordination and development of new systems and new ways of working uh, within CDC and with all of our partners. Okay, great. Thank you so much for outlining those, those priorities, Jason. I appreciate that. Well, the pandemic, like you were mentioning, in many ways has completely changed society and life. And of course, we saw this with virtual work and more remote capabilities like telehealth, which was a big one. Big. So how have these impacts looked like 
internally at your office and how have you seen it adapt along the way? Yeah, that's a great question, right? It's and such a timely question right now. So uh, these days, anytime you turn on your smart speaker, right, or read the news, it's hard to miss uh, someone talking to issues around our current sort of remote working normal, right? Uh, regardless of how one feels about it, whether it's great or whether it's not great, or so somebody's talking about it one way or another. So we spent three long years working and living in this context driven by hopefully what is a once in a generation pandemic. And it'll probably take at least as long to uh, sort out all of those implications. But that said, you know, while CDC's headquarters, as I mentioned earlier, right, CDC's headquarters are in Atlanta, we've always had a distributed workforce with locations in D.C., Maryland, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Washington, Colorado, and uh, and and roughly 47 global locations. Further, during any given emergency response, we're accustomed to rapid collaboration across geographies and time zones. And for us in the CIO's office, we truly are, right, a global public health IT organization. So a couple of things with regard to remote work. Fortunately for us, about a year before the pandemic, uh, one of our priorities was improving the employee experience with IT. We'd made a complete switch to Microsoft Office 365. Uh, which was a it was a big deal for us. Um, it was a big deal for the organization, both operationally and experientially. We even set up customer solution accelerate acceleration centers across our campuses to make sure the employee experience was the best that we could make it. And this allowed CDC continuous, seamless access to communication and collaboration tools. And it was a huge success. Uh, but little did we know, honestly, to be how crucial this was going to be, right, come 2020. So we we finished rolling that out in 2019. Um, and then in 2020, when everything changed, uh, thankfully, all of our staff had some of the critical productivity tools already there at their fingertips and had had some familiarity with using them. You know, another thing that we did uh, in February, right, of 2020, uh, it was clear we needed to be prepared uh, as as the sort of the pandemic took shape for what uh, what we were calling radical telework. We didn't really have a good phrase for it at the time, uh, but uh, but we what we also needed to do, we had Office 365 or Microsoft 365 up and running, which was fantastic. But with now everybody in a remote posture, what we needed was to modernize our remote access infrastructure, right? To make it really easy, essentially make it secu a secure, always on connection to all of the resources. And so, so some of the work that we did pre-pandemic and then some of the stuff we did after or during the pandemic really made it made it really easy, right, for our staff to continue being as productive as possible at a time when, you know, it was absolutely critical for CTC to be the most productive. Um, and we were able to uh, to support that. Now, post, right, so now that we're coming out of, uh, of the pandemic um, uh, and the fact that our campuses really our campuses across the board have never really been empty. Uh, we are a 24 by 7 by 365 organization with a variety of activities that can only happen in the office, right? So we have labs, we have things where people have been coming in the whole time doing work here. We've been also modernizing all of our conference rooms across all of our locations. And what we want to do is, again, sort of continuing to build on that best customer or staff experience with IT. And so making it by modernizing our conference rooms, it's making it the best 
having the best hybrid collaboration experience, right? So again, regardless of where you are, if you happen to be in the office for an intentional meeting with a number of people, still really easy to bring in remote staff. And even having uh, far more collaborative screens and lots of collaborative things, again, to make us, uh, to support us being the most productive possible. Right. Wow. That is, that is so good that you guys were already had the ball rolling in that direction. We were so fortunate, right? Right, right. And made that transition just so much easier. Well, health equity. This continues to be a priority in this administration. So considering how impactful data is and can be in the context of equity, how do you see some of the agency's new data efforts bridging some of these gaps? Yeah, so uh, this is such an important issue, right? And uh, that, and really, public health by its very nature has been working to address since its inception. Right? I think that's the, uh, some of what the foundation of public health is about. But just to sort of define it, right? So health equity is the state in which everyone has a fair and just opportunity to attain their highest level of health. And so, just sitting with that for that's a that's a big that's a big statement, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, and it definitely requires a multi-partner, multi-sector coalition, right, to make this happen. So the data that we collect across all of our programs, as imperfect as it may be at times, is really de- designed to describe the morbidity uh, and mortality associated with an ever-increasing number of communicable and non-communicable diseases and conditions. And then these data are used to design and implement public health programs that improve individual community and population health. And I, I, I appreciate you allowing me to talk a little bit about sort of the functions of public health here. Because, uh, yeah. you know, oftentimes, Nikki, I do find that uh, that while, you know, CDC as a brand, there's a lot of familiarity with CDC, especially coming out of COVID, uh, that oftentimes sort of what public health is, and it's it gets confused sometimes with healthcare or direct care. And so taking a little bit of time to help explain what, what we do here in public health. But before I jump into some specifics, right, about our data efforts uh, and working to address these gaps, if it's okay with you, I'd like to do a quick overview of CDC's CORE, which is an acronym commitment to health equity, because I think this this is the framework that also helps drive the kinds of things that we're doing with our new data program. Are you good with that? Oh, perfectly fine. All right, yes. cool. Thank you so much. So, so CORE, C-O-R-E, is, a, is an acronym. Mm-hmm. And here, right, so the C stands for cultivating comprehensive health equity science and that, that we will embed health equity principles in the design, implementation, and evaluation of our research, data, surveillance, and intervention strategies. So the O is about optimizing our interventions that will use scientific, innovative, and data-driven intervention strategies that address environmental, place-based occupational policy and system systemic factors that impact health outcomes and address the drivers of health disparities. The R is about reinforcing and expanding robust partnerships, right? That I mentioned that this is such a huge effort. It takes uh, really multi-sector partners and, and so much collaboration to, to make this a reality. And the E is about enhancing capacity and workplace diversity, inclusion, and engagement. So that's our, that's sort of CDC's core framework around health equity. So as as a data and evidence-driven organization, there's a firm belief that data can help us get there, right? So which leads directly into your question, the way in which our new data efforts are addressing this pressing need. 
So lofty as it may seem, our goal is an equity-centered data system that accounts for social factors that impact health, uh, such as where people live, their environment, income and jobs, the discrimination they may face, right, and access to any variety of services, including healthcare. So what does this look like on the ground? So first is a step toward equity. A first step toward equity is improving the data that we have available. So one, I, I'm not, and a couple ways that we're doing that. One is automating race, ethnicity, and other demographic data collection and bringing that automation closer to the point of care to get this information faster and more accurately, right? The, and so, I mean, so much of, of public health, we are a, a data-driven organization, right? And so data is our lifeblood. And the more accurate it is and the more representative it is, the better our tools are, the better our strategies and our, our, uh, our uh, implementations, uh, it all relies on data, right? And so one way we're doing this is by enabling healthcare facilities and laboratories to adopt electronic platforms, which improve the representativeness of the data that we're getting, right? So we want our data to be as representative of, as possible of, of the population. So also we're adding social determinants of health modules that track topics like food and housing and security, transportation, social support, well-being, economic stability into our surveillance systems, right, to monitor risk factors. So that's one area uh, that we're that we're doing it, that we're working on how the how our uh, how our data activities are are uh, addressing the health equity. Also, second is improving how we consolidate, link, uh, and use our equity-related data. Mm -hmm. So using new tools and approaches to reduce and account for any biases in the data and analytics and improve our understanding of social determinants of health. So this includes one, one specific example is our work with HL7's Gravity Project, which is to build a national public health use case for social determinants of health. And you said HL7? HL7, yes, okay. HL7. So health level, and it stands for health level seven, and it's a data standards organization. Okay. Yep, and and you know for us, data standards are super important, right? So right, uh, and, right. and it may and it, right, it may right it makes it makes system oper interoperability all the easier, right? When you have standards in place. So. Exactly. Exactly. Well, what's interesting to me in CDC's moving forward strategy is the mention of culture. From a tech standpoint, we know that culture can often be a major barrier to change. So, Jason, how do you see the culture really changing when it comes to software development and tech modernization? And how does that ultimately translate back to the decision making around public health? That's a great question. You know, and there's the classic, right? The classic uh, quote. Uh, I think it was Deming probably said culture eats or culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, I heard uh, Jen Palka, uh, who is one of the founders of the U.S. Digital Services and uh, Code for America. I'd mentioned the other day that uh, culture eats policy for lunch. Uh, so, yeah, no question. Culture Culture is what it is, right? And so the question is, is it is it a barrier or is it how do you work with the culture that you have, right, to, to enact change? So uh, regardless of organization or industry, the question of culture and change is central, right? So the degree to which any organization can adapt to internal and external pressures for change influence how successful it's going to be in the future. 
CDC has a science and data-driven organization dedicated to using tools and methods to improve the lives of individuals, communities, and populations. Well, the work we do, along with our partners, demonstrates this in profound, but often, honestly, Nikki, really quiet ways. That said, one look at our org structure and one is struck by the specific level of focus, right, needed to have strong health outcomes, right, to influence uh, the health of, of the nation. So at the highest level, we're organized into communicable and non-communicable disease areas. And the deeper you go, the more specific it gets. So in many ways, this is what attracts the best scientists from around the world to work here at CDC. And that's, we definitely want the best and the brightest here at CDC. And improving the lives of individuals, communities, and populations takes this level of focus and dedication. So said slightly differently, uh, we are a culture, right? The value science, evidence, and specialization, and one driven to ensure that its products are validated, translated, and implemented in ways that are not only effective, but reduce the burden of disease and improve health. So with that foundation, let's talk about the promise of technology and modernization. So being at CDC for as long as I have, I've seen a steady change that modern software development methods coupled with strong enterprise services, right, can bring. So 20 years ago, uh, believe it or not, we began a major enterprise effort to build common standards-based platforms and products um, aimed at supporting the needs of public health science and practice. So at the time, this is 20 years ago, a uh, long time ago, right, for all sorts <laughs> of purposes. Uh, but but despite, despite some cultural headwinds at the time uh, and immature technologies, right? So if I'm talking 2001, 2002, 2003, Boy, the, the 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 maturation of the technology that we have now compared to then is like it's light years different, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, light years different. So, um, despite those cultural headwinds and some of these immature technologies, so many of those platforms and products actually survived and thrived, uh, and the demonstrable value of these uh, planted, I think, planted important seeds of change uh, within the organization. So due to those efforts and today's more mature right, software development workforce, uh, along with significant advances in technology, I mean, I think everybody's doing cloud and, and uh, thinking about how to do um, cloud native work is central, right? To, uh, cloud native work, doing agile work, doing product development, product management, all central right, to today's uh, modern methods. Mm -hmm. um, coupled with, uh, and as the, in the CIO's office, right, our focus is enterprise platforms and enterprise products, things that can support all the different functions within the organization. So this is definitely the work that we've been doing over the last few years, building on, again, what's been done over time is really beginning to outpace those sort of residual pockets of old ways of thinking, because that's always going to be the case, right? Right. Always. So, and I appreciate that during the COVID response, CDC had some challenges. What organization did for all intents and purposes? But take my word for it. Behind the scenes, agile, iterative, cloud-native development using enterprise platforms and services really did allow us to rapidly safeguard the nation's health in ways that, that we couldn't have done in 2017 or 2016, right? We just couldn't have. But yeah. again, you know, we did it. We did it in really profound, but then in quiet ways. So how does this, so sort of to round out your question of how does this translate 
back into public health decision making, right? The fact that we have congressional appropriations for data modernization, uh, though we can always use more, says a lot, right? So there's a lot of belief that, that the work that we have been doing already around IT and data modernization is, is paying dividends for all intents and purposes. We have a first ever public health data strategy, which clearly articulates outputs and outcomes aimed at improving the entire public health system. And in addition, um, and if you weren't aware, we uh, recently established, actually, I think you guys might be, uh, the Center for Forecasting and Analytics, right? Mm -hmm. And with, yeah, right? You, I think you might have talked to Dylan. Um, I have, I have. Yeah, yeah, I mean, amazing guy, right? Yes. Dylan is amazing guy. But, uh, but the Center for Forecasting and Analytics is being staffed with the kind of public health data science expertise you'd expect that can take advantage of modern technologies, platforms, and products, right, that the, that central IT or the CIO's office is putting together. Yes. Well, that was a great explanation about culture and how the importance of it in decision-making about public health. And just thank you so much. And also for highlighting the Center for Forecasting and Analytics, yeah, because yeah. that is a really, that's crucial. That's it is. It is crucial, right? And and yeah. uh, and uh, you know, d I, you, so I, it sounds like you did talk with Dylan. I mean, Dylan has a great vision for for what that office, uh, for what that center is going to do. Not, I mean, for CDC for sure, but for national public health, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible. Exactly. When it comes to emerging technologies that can support many of these data efforts, where do you see them from a budgetary standpoint? And are there any roadblocks that you're anticipating? Sure. You know, of the many things that COVID brought, right, one was the recognition long needed that the nation's public health system was in dire need of support and modernization, right? So it's an, it's an interdependent web of public and private governmental organizations and partners where, you know, not, not to get super nerdy here, Nikki, but uh, where the quote from William Gibson couldn't be more apt, right? The future is here, but it's just unevenly distributed. So I think uh, I think we experienced that, right, tenfold, a hundredfold during COVID. Definitely. Uh, and also, you know, case in point, uh, if you if you had a chance to, to take a look at it in this morning's New York Times op-ed, right, Dr. Walensky, current CDC director, references, I believe it or not, the current use of fax machines uh, in some of our health departments to, to send data. And I, Nikki, when was the last time you used a fax machine? I can't even remember. <laughs> I don't think it's hard to find businesses that even have fax machines anymore. Right. right? right. Uh, but for but for some for some of our partners, that's the infrastructure that they have. That's their ability to send data to us. So, so that's also still an indication of there's so much more work that needs to be done to support uh, to support really the pop the public health system writ large. So that said. With the budgeting or the budgetary authority that we've had, we're continually testing and piloting emerging and promising technologies that align with our public health and health equity data goals. And these goals are increasing accuracy, increasing representativeness, increasing the speed of data sharing and availability, and also protecting, which is important for us too, uh, protecting our state, local, tribal, territorial partner their authorities right within their jurisdictions they have very specific um authorities granted them by their legislatures and also protecting individual privacy and ensuring that our infrastructure and data engineering capabilities are evolving right at the pass uh, at the pace of change but 
it's not enough to just invest in technologies that get us data faster. We also have to invest in the infrastructure that translates this information into useful guidance. And that means investing, you know, not just in the tech stuff, so I'm going a little bit outside of the tech stuff, but it means investing in better communication, um, better policy support uh, to make sure that the guidance, that all this data and all the uh, the technology and that's in enabling the data that's enabling the guidance that comes out from us, uh, both technical and plain language, is making it to the point of impact, right? Enabling informed decision making, and just uh, a couple a couple more things there. One uh, in taking a look at Dr. Walensky's or the CDC's moving forward strategy, right? So a better communication, strengthening our communication to the public, is a core part of that. Right, and doing it on both sides, and, and making sure that uh, that our technical uh, our technical information is coming through to our technical um, audiences, but also that we're translating that into plain language, so that individuals, families, communities know what to do and how to take action. Right. So you also, Nikki. So you you also asked about roadblocks. Well, I like to think that a healthy nation is good for everyone. It's good for well being. Mm -hmm. It's good for productivity. It's good for business. Uh, and if we continue down this path and say that our public health data infrastructure is vital to those outputs of a healthy nation, then sustained funding over time dedicated to this effort is critical. Couple this with new ways for CDC, at least, uh, to strategically position ourselves to have the right implementation partners at the table. And I think we have a winning formula for not just public health data efforts, but for the health of the nation for generations to come. And this is I, in, in Dr. Walensky's article this morning in the New York Times, she mentioned some of this. Uh, two real world examples of the ways that we're doing this. So the first is through uh, what are considered what are called OTAs. So these are other transactional authorities. So in the last year, CDC received authorization to use this authority. So in addition to traditional contracts and grants and cooperative agreements, which is usually how, um, how we ensure that we have the right partners at the tables uh, to implementation partners, uh, OTAs is another tool that has the potential to allow us to create novel and innovative partnerships uh, to drive change. And the second uh, is, and I know it's out in the ether uh, quite a bit, is the second is our current work with GSA FedSim. And this supports really the flexibility and longer horizon of implementing change. Because as, as I know that you know, Nikki, that uh, as much as we may want it, uh, you know, change isn't measured in nanoseconds by any, any stretch of the imagination. Right. And change takes time. And so having uh, having partners at the table with us that have that long horizon that we're able to work with uh, really helps enable that. Very true. Well, thank you for talking about uh, some of the roadblocks that you guys are anticipating and the budget. Well, Jason, uh, this is what I've been looking forward to asking. Can you please tell us what you're most excited about in the coming year? Ah, uh, all right. So, uh, so you're only going to give me the coming year. That's it. not like Jason, five years, <laughs> 10 years, 20 years, but I no, so I I do. I really do appreciate the time box. That's I, it's helpful, right? It, and it keeps it real. Right. So uh, so there are a couple things uh, and a couple things I've already mentioned, right? First is moving out and, and again, thinking about what we can do within the next year. Because, uh, you know, with uh, there's a lot of change in the environment over the next, right, 12 to 18 months, there's going to be a lot going on uh, here. And so, so thinking about what we can accomplish uh, with our 
IT and data modernization work and our data efforts is really important over the next year. So I think first, some of these things I've already mentioned. So first is, is our moving out with the GSA FedSim, uh, which should happen this calendar year. And it should really provide CDC and public health with the implementation expertise needed to realize a transformed and modern public health system. So I, I mentioned some of the things that we're putting in place, right? But this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more underneath that, so many more enterprise services and platforms that we need to put in place, so many more, uh, not just at CDC, but impact the whole system. So really, that's really important. Not terribly sexy, but that's really important. <laughs> so second, so second, right, is the iterative development of key enterprise capabilities and platforms. So the two that I mentioned are absolutely important. So CDC's one front door, as well as, um, oh yeah, so I'll, I'll just say CDC's one front door. So we're right now uh, in, in beginning to stand this up, we're using two use cases to prove out that this platform will work. So one is focused on uh, what we call mom, it's called we affectionately call it moms and babies, uh, but uh, but this is about uh, sort of the health monitoring that we do around emerging threats for mothers and babies, and the uh, and the other uh, the other one uh, the other use case that we're using is around uh, reporting of viral hepatitis, and so what this does is it gives it gives us use cases like going way back to the beginning of our conversation when I said that we're organized into communicable and non-communicable diseases. Yeah. So what this does is we get a use case from each area of the organization, which then helps us validate, right, that we can do that kind of work. And then it makes it much easier to perpetuate that work across all sorts of other surveillance and health monitoring activities that we do. Mm -hmm. Right. So super important that we do it that way. And third, well, we've already talked about remote work. Uh, which is always in the news. So uh, we should also add, right, how we have to talk about artificial intelligence. How could we not talk oh, about artificial <laughs> intelligence? It's like, um, like, much like remote work is in the news, every time I turn around, somebody's talking about chat GPT or generative AI. And exactly. <laughs> right. And honestly, Nikki, it's either, right? It's either the apocalypse is on the horizon <laughs> or it's utopia is right around the corner, right? It's one of right. those but, but, but that, so that being said, it's still really important, right? It's still really, really important. And so, uh, and so for us, uh, what we're doing this in this year is aligning with the Department of Health and Human Services, of which CDC is a part, as well as the White House. And we're rapidly developing an artificial intelligence strategy that does two things, right? It both spurs innovation, because there's lots, I mean, right, everybody's excited about it, because, you know, again, whether it's doom or happiness, right, everybody's excited about what what the promise of, of this, of what uh, generative AI or the broader AI can bring. So we're really interested in, interested in how this can spur innovation both with how we do public health uh, across the system, but at the same time, right? And we're, try we're trying to balance the apocalypse with utopia. So doing that, but also mitigating risk, right? So it is, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, I know that there are lots of, of risks being painted by a lot of different parties. And so what we're also being very deliberative and careful about is, uh, is, is thinking about how, how do we, from a public health standpoint, identify and sort of uh, describe what those risks are and mitigate them for public health going forward. Yeah. So those are, so those, those are some of the things that I'm really excited about uh, for the, for the next year. 
Yes. Well, I'm excited to hear about all the things that you're excited about. <laughs> this is this is very, very exciting and interesting news. And thank you so much for detailing and just highlighting the GSA Fed Zone, CDC's one front door. And of course, artificial intelligence. We will probably be hearing about that for for years to come, actually. That is for sure. <laughs> for sure. Thank you. Well, Jason, before we conclude, I just want to know, do you have any final comments or remarks that you would like to leave with our listeners? Hey, you know, uh, and thanks for that, Nikki. So first, let me say thank you so much uh, for, for inviting me here, letting me talk uh, about what hopefully comes across. I'm really passionate, uh, passionate about public health and passionate about the, the IT and data work that we're doing here. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, my final thoughts really are around um, keeping in mind, right, front and center, how important uh, public health is. It's it's it's. You know, I talked about it being sort of the sort of quiet things that we do in public health that are often taken for granted. And that's absolutely true. The fact that we have going super, super, super local, right, that we have safe drinking water and things of that nature. Those are artifacts, right, of longstanding public health policy. And so, you know, I would ask, I guess maybe I would ask our uh, your listeners, like, oh, take a moment, right? Take a moment and reflect on all the things that public health has done over the years um, to uh, to improve the quality of life uh, that you have for yourself, for your family, your loved ones, your community, um, and uh, and in one way or another, even if it's just uh, just silently shouting up into the universe, uh, go public health. I would say, do that, please, for us. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for that, Jason. I I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed our conversation. It was great. And I am happy to see and hear your passion for public health. That is, that's wonderful. So um, I want to thank you again for taking out time uh, to speak with me uh, today. And I hope that you have a wonderful afternoon. And I look forward to speaking with you in, in the future to talk about the progress that CDC has made. Hey, thanks so much, Nikki. Great talking with you today. And I would love to talk again in the future about all the things that we're doing. And this is a great benchmark, right? So now we can talk about, or in the future, we can talk about all the great things that we're pushing. So. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Yep. Great talking with you today, Nikki. Thank you, Nikki. That was an excellent conversation. You could really hear just like the passion (laughs) about this topic throughout your uh, throughout your discussion. Before we let our listeners go, do you have any last thoughts or takeaways that you want to leave them with? Yeah, I am not you're right. Like Jason was so passionate about the culture, the moving forward strategy, the health equity, everything we talked about, he was just extremely passionate about. And that's why I just really enjoyed our conversation. But I would have to say my top takeaway is just CDC's overall moving forward strategy. The pandemic was just it just turned everybody's lives upside down. And this moving forward strategy is going to be key for CDC when tackling future health emergencies um, by modernizing their infrastructure and improving their entire data exchange process. They are going to be better prepared to respond to the next health crisis. So just think CDC now being able to provide their healthcare partners with that one primary place where they can deliver their data 
is going to make a world of difference uh, for everyone involved. I couldn't agree more. It is so important to have these resources available, both in times of crisis, but also just generally for research purposes and moving science forward. So thank you, Nikki. We will be back with another HealthCast in two weeks. But until then, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice and leave a five-star rating as well. I'm Alexander Bolova. And I'm Nikki Henderson. Thank you for listening. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.